Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn move related show on the planet Earth, the John Campy Show, coming to you from right here. Well, not on my YouTube channel today. Today, it's coming to you strictly in podcast form. Now, what we normally do here on the John Campy Show is we normally do the John Campy Show every day, Monday through Friday, as a two-hour YouTube live show. And then we take the audio from that and we turn it into a podcast and we put that up on the podcast feed. Today's a little bit different. I didn't really have time to put together a full show with all the visual elements. I had a number of obligations going on and I decided, well, you know, instead of not doing a show today, why don't we just do a show strictly in podcast form? Because it takes like 80% less work for me to get a podcast version put together. And then I thought, you know what? Since we're going to do it just as podcast, I thought I would take today to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters. You know, the John Campus Show has one of the things that has kept this show and this channel going for a long time is our incredible group of Patreon supporters. And so I thought, you know, why don't we take today's podcast and we'll take all the topics from our Patreon supporters. So I told our Patreon supporters yesterday that today's show would be basically dedicated to their topics and questions. So we're going to be taking all today's topics from our Patreon supporters, and uh, that's what we're going to do. So let's not waste any time and get right into it. Our first topic today comes to us from SK Zhang, who writes, Hey, John. With not a lot of new Hollywood movies and cinemas at the moment in Australia, a lot of the cinema chains are playing Bollywood and Chinese movies to help pay the bills. That's a great idea. Have you ever watched any Chinese film in the cinemas? And how disappointing was the presidential debate? Well, I'm not going to talk about the presidential debate. I'm going to keep politics out of this show entirely. Uh, I don't mind you asking, but I hope you don't mind that I decide not to get into that. Um, As far as have I gone to see like Chinese films, if we're talking Chinese films, like proper Chinese films, like not Matt Damon's The Wall and not films that were specifically packaged to be played in North America, like like Hero or Crouching Tiger, like we're not going to count those. But actual Chinese cinema that was made for the Chinese audience and really exhibited in China and not really. Honestly, no, I haven't. Um, Most of the Chinese cinema that I've been able to watch has always been, you know, post its theatrical run, like in home video of one form or another. That's been the vast majority of my experience with it. And uh, just because, you know, usually they don't get played over here in that sort of way. So, no, I have never seen like even with all the great Chinese cinema I've seen. I've never actually gone to see them in the theaters. It's always been in one form or another of a home video, whether it be streaming or Blu-ray or all the way back to the day of VHS tapes. But that's always been my experience. But I'm glad you guys are getting that opportunity over the right right now. That's a great idea. All right. Next up comes to us from Edgar Navarro, who writes, I've taken advantage of the quarantine and gone to see movies since no one is going to the theaters. And I knew I'd be the only one there. So I saw Broken Hearts Gallery and Words on Bathroom Walls. I'm hearing really good things about Words on Bathroom Walls, by the way, which were really great movies. Have you seen them? And if not, will you wait for them to be on streaming services or potentially rent them if you have any interest, of course? Well, I am actually quite interested in Words on Bathroom Walls. And I I saw the previews for Broken Hearts Gallery, but I haven't heard a lot of other people talking about it. Um, Here's the situation I'm in. If the theater, like I'm in the Los Angeles area, right? I'm in Burbank, California, part of Los Angeles, really. And I have this big giant AMC Burbank 16 right up the street from where I live. And if words on bathroom walls were playing there right now, I would go today to go watch it. 
But the reality is very, very, very few cinemas in the state of California are open. Um, the closest one to me, the two closest theaters to me are San Diego, which is a couple of hours, and Anaheim, which is a 45-minute to an hour drive depending on traffic. I have gone to see movies in theaters since, uh, you know, when things started to creak open again. I went to go see New Mutants. I drove all the way to Las Vegas to go see New Mutants. And then I drove to Anaheim to see Tenet. I'll be honest, though. If I'm going to get in a car and drive an hour, like I'll basically drive a two-hour round trip, it's going to have to be a movie that I'm really, really, really looking forward to seeing. You know what I mean? Something like a Tenet or a Black Widow or a James Bond or something like that. It's going to have to be a film that I'm really excited about seeing for me to commit to like an almost two hour round trip drive to go see it. And while I am very interested in seeing words on bathroom walls, I'm not so interested. That I feel like making a two hour round trip. You know what I mean? So all other things staying equal until theaters here open, like if they open up here, if the theaters open up here and they still have words on bathroom walls in the theaters, I'll go see it for sure. Otherwise, I'm going to have to wait for it to come out on home video, just like most people. All right. Melissa Trussler writes, recently on the John Campia show, you mentioned if your documentary made hypothetical, quote unquote, big money, which is unlikely to make big money, but uh, you would want to pursue more creative projects as a producer. On that note, what excites you about a project or a director? themes, unique point of view. All right. Thanks a lot for, for writing that in, Melissa. Yeah. So I, you guys know I have my my documentary. I put up our first clip. I put up online. If you haven't seen it, it's on my YouTube channel right now. Uh, our first clip we uh, publicly made available from the documentary. It's called Movie Trailers, A Love Story. It is a documentary about movie trailers, but specifically, it's really about the relationship between movie trailers and audiences. And that's kind of key. Anyway, one of the things I said on the show, because somebody was asking me about it, I think it was Willow who wrote in and asked, you know, if that movie made $5 million, are you still going to do the John Campia show? And the basic thing, what I said is this, pardon me, was that kind of my lofty delusions of grandeur, pie in the sky kind of dreams for this movie is that it makes a little bit of money and that I'm able to take that money and invest it in another project. Now, maybe the next project will also be one that I direct or whatever, but what I'd really like to do is really step out of being like a director, you know, what have you, and really function more as a producer. And what I would love to do is take whatever money I make, if I make any money at all, uh, from my documentary and find somebody else's project that excites me or that I think has p- potential and then invest in that and also, you know, function as a producer on that. That's what I would like to do. So Melissa's asking, well, what as a producer, what types of things in a project would excite me or in a director? What, what are the themes, unique point of view? Honestly, here's the thing. The thing that would attract me as a producer and, you know, as an investor isn't really a theme or isn't even a unique point of view. What would excite me is something that looks like it will connect with people. Because I think the purpose of art, there's a twofold purpose to art, in my opinion. Purpose number one is 
art is a, a vehicle for an artist, be it through a visual medium, an audio medium, whether it's a singer, a dancer, a painter, a writer, whatever. Art is a vehicle for the artist to express themselves, right? That's that's the one thing. The second purpose of art is to connect with people in different ways. You know, so art is subjective. We talk about this all the time. Art is subjective. And so every piece of art will connect with people in a different way. And so the two purposes of art is for one, for the artist to express themselves and the other is for the art to connect with people. The the reality is, and this is the part that nobody likes to talk about, but there is a commerce side to art as well. And that really falls under the purview of the second part, which is it has to connect with people. You can have art that is strictly about the artist expressing themselves. And there is value in that, great value in that. But when you're talking about, you know, the business of art, not only should the art be something about the artist expressing themselves, it has to be art that looks like it will connect with people on a certain level. Right. So that's something that excites me about my own movie. Right. It's it's the fact that we all love trailers. We all watch trailers. We all get excited for trailers. And and I thought, you know, talking about trailers and that relationship, I, I felt that that was some the reason that idea excited me was because that is something that I believe will connect with people. And so. I, what would excite me is doesn't have to be something that I would normally, it doesn't have to be a topic I would be excited about. It doesn't have to be a theme I would be excited about. What would excite me is if it appeared to be a project that will connect with people, even if it's about a topic that doesn't interest me personally, is it something that will connect with people? And, um, that, that'll be the thing. Yeah. So those, it's not about a unique point of view, although that helps. It's not being about a particular theme, although that can help, I suppose. It's really about when I hear the idea and then does it hit me that, oh my gosh, that will connect with people. And if I feel it'll connect with people, that's, what's going to excite me. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in Melissa. All right. Bobby Kessler writes, Hey, John. The clip you shared from your new documentary, speaking of which, uh, the clip you shared from your new documentary film looked great. Thank you so much. Since you have also directed a narrative film in the past, which type of film, documentary or narrative, did you find more challenging to make? And which type of film do you have more fun making? Ooh, thanks a lot, man. All right. I am going to answer that question, but you have to understand I'm answering the question from my own point of view and just from my own experiences, right? So other directors, they may have completely different points of view and a completely different experience than I had. So I can only speak from my own personal point of view, right? Documentary is by far more challenging. Documentary to me is by far more challenging because when you're doing a narrative, um, a fictional narrative, you get to create what the story is. You can just, whatever you think the story is, whatever you say the story is, that's what the story is. In in documentary, you, the, you've got to find the story, you know, and and that was uh, quite frankly, you know, when I was writing the anniversary, my little my little rom com thing that I did a bunch of years ago, I got to write what I wanted the characters to say. I got to create what was going to happen to the characters, right? So I was able to chart it out. When I'm making something like um, movie trailers, a love story, okay. I want to, here was the big first challenge. The big first challenge is all right. The thing is about movie trailers, but what is 
what's the story? You know, like without a story, all this is, is kind of like uh, a, maybe a brief history lesson video. The story is what makes it a documentary. And so I decided to begin work on the, on the project and let the story present itself. And so as I started, you know, uh, kind of structuring out the documentary and then I started the interview process and I would review all the interviews and stuff like that, I, I wanted the story to emerge to me. And what emerged to me was, you know, trailers and the history of trailers is really the story about the fundamental relationship This evolve over the course of a hundred years. The, the story of the relationship that has evolved between the audiences and the trailer. And then I thought I was able to find that and say, okay, that's the story. So then I was able, once I discovered the story to kind of restructure the movie in the case that let's tell this thing about movie trailers. Let's tell the tale of movie trailers through the lens of its relationship with audiences. And that's where it was, but, but that's what makes it so challenging and I'm sure another director probably could have done a 10 times better job than I did. But that to me was it. And when you find that story and you start to put it together, I got a great deal of satisfaction. So don't get me wrong. I love doing the narrative movie too that I did. I'm very proud of my stupid little anniversary movie. I am. I'm very proud of it. But I, I, I do get more out of the documentary and I got a lot. Of, I had a lot of fun doing this one. Anyway, thanks for writing, Bobby. All right. J.D. Solther writes, Greetings, John, from the great state of Ohio. Uh, the other day, my future father-in-law recommended that we watch Secondhand Lions. Oh, that's good. I like Secondhand Lions. I never have heard anybody talk about this. Oh, we've, I mean, it's been a while. It's, I, I admit, it's been a while since I've talked about it on shows, probably back in the AMC days, but yeah, it's great. Never heard anybody talk about this, but was absolutely amazed by it. It has a lot of heart and it's just a fantastic story. I just wanted to share this with the group and hope everybody has a great October. Stay filthy, my friends. Yeah, this is a terrific movie, man. It's an absolutely terrific little movie. And and listen, because you're talking about it's a, it's got Michael Caine, Robert Duvall, and the kid. Um, he was just in The Boys. Uh, he was in Sixth Sense as a uh, Haley Joel Osment. I always mispronounce his name. Anyway, basically, kid goes to live with his uncles. Not not a, yeah, a great sounding thing, but I'm telling you, it's a really special little film. I enjoyed this a lot. And whenever you can get a movie with like screen icons like Michael Caine or Robert Duvall, you're in for a treat. So yeah, Secondhand Lions, all for it. Love it. I'm glad you had a chance to go and watch that one, D. All right, next up, Steve Foley writes, Hey, John, Deadline is reporting that movie theater uh, movie theater rescue called for by top filmmakers, NATO, MPA, DGA, in a letter to Congress, um, in a letter to Congress, theaters may not survive, asking for a bailout, but with the movie theater industry in the state, the state it's in, does throwing money at it, at least right now, make sense? All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, Steve. And yes, obviously, the movie theater industry right now is in absolute peril because the pandemic, like many other businesses, the pandemic has basically eliminated their ability to do business, right? Basically eliminated their ability to do business. I mean, at least with like restaurants and stuff like in California, you can still restaurants can still be open. You just got to have to eat outside. So it's limited capacity. But movie theaters, like especially in California, just shut down. You got to understand, Steve, that it's not like the movie theaters were in trouble prior to the pandemic. They weren't. The movie theaters were fine. 
So it's not like this was a this was a dying industry. I mean, last year alone, they made record breaking amounts of billions of dollars. But this pandemic has really effed them all up completely. And that's the problem. So the question becomes, the question is not, can movie theaters survive without the pandemic? That's not the question. Because again, last year, billions and billions and billions and billions and billions in revenue. Movie theaters are doing just fine. They have challenges for sure. We've talked about those challenges in the show. But overall, without the pandemic, they're okay. Because of that, the question is just, can theaters survive this pandemic? Like, it's not its not like, oh, the theaters were practically dead. And unlike what some idiots try to say, they weren't. Just go look at the revenue numbers. They're doing great. They have things they need to address and they have problems they need to deal with. Absolutely. But overall, they're okay. If this was a, an industry that was practically dead before the pandemic, then no, just throwing money at it isn't going to do anything. Like it'll get through the pandemic and then it'll just die after the pandemic. But the movie theater industry, it's just about whether or not it can survive the pandemic. If the movie theaters can survive the pandemic and come out the other side on their feet, they'll be fine. Movie theaters will be fine if they can get through the pandemic. Now, I used to think they could get through the pandemic, but as other movies continue to move, Wonder Woman, Black Widow, all that kind of stuff continue to move and all that kind of stuff, I've started to doubt that the theaters can survive and make it through the pandemic so that when the pandemic is over, I, I don't know that there's going to be movie theaters left, at least not in any significant numbers. So, yes, I absolutely believe if if the government, if studios, if, if a conglomeration of supporters can come together and just make sure that these theaters can get through the pandemic, then I think it'll be fine. You know, just quote unquote, just throwing money at something that's kind of denotes the idea that, well, this isn't really going to help, but let's just throw money at it and hope it. No, no, that literally would fix the problem. If theater theaters can survive the pandemic, they'll be fine. It's about whether they can get through the pandemic and you got to understand what will cost more to, to everybody? Will it cost more for the government to come up with all this money to keep the theaters afloat until the pandemic is dealt with? Or will it cost us more if the theaters go under that, which will make this the, which is cost tens if not hundreds of thousands of jobs. And then you're talking about that's going to affect the studios. The studios aren't going to make nearly the same amount of money that they used to without theaters. That's going to cost tens of thousands of jobs. You're talking about industry shutting down. You're talking about caterers, carpenters, designers, blah, blah, on and on and on. So ultimately the question becomes, what's the bigger price tag? Is the bigger price tag getting together a bunch of money to keep the theaters open through this thing? Or... Is it a bigger price tag to ignore the problem? Will ignoring this ultimately cost everything a hell of a lot more? I've always made the argument that if theaters go out of business, the price tag is going to be way higher than trying to get the money together to keep them in business for now. So that's that's my take on that, Steve, uh, at any rate. So yes, I think, I hope they do it. Uh, I hope they keep, because I think ultimately it'll be better for the government because the, there will be more jobs. There will be more tax revenue. There will be a, like a lot more industry going. There will be more work being done. It's just, yes, yes, I do think this would solve the problem. I don't know if they're going to do it, but I do think it would solve the problem. All right. Ben Donnelly writes, 
So, John, here's a facetious question. Which of these sounds better for future Fast and Furious movies? The Viper Randy Orton is Dom's cousin. No interest in that. Or Stone Cold Steve Austin is Dom's father. Uh, maybe he has room for more pro wrestlers in the family tree. I, I hope they don't get into the habit of just throwing more pro wrestlers in there. But I will say this. Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin's acted in a lot of movies. And yeah, bringing him in as like Dom's uncle or I don't know. if Can you make him his dad? Can you? I mean, also, let me look this up. Um, how old is uh, Vin Diesel? So Vin Diesel is 53. I don't think Stone Cold. Um, I don't think Stone Cold is that much. No, see, Stone Cold's 55. It's like, that's the thing. Like, I, I thought maybe Vin might have been in his mid 40s. Vin is 53 years old. All right. Vin is 53 years old. So. Stone Cold Steve Austin, who is only two years older than Vin Diesel. You can't really bring him in as Vin's dad. So maybe his like young uncle, like maybe you bring in Stone Cold and maybe you say there's like 10 years age difference and you just say Stone Cold is like Dom's dad's younger brother or something like that. But you you can't have him as Dom's dad. Um but yeah, I, I yeah, I'd be all for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like again, he's he's been in like 15 movies, so I mean he's got some experience and he would come across as a badass, so why not? All right, Bradley Zamanic writes. Recently rewatched Not Another Teen Movie and remembered how much I loved it. Despite some of the movie's references being a bit too on the nose, what are your thoughts on this film? Didn't like it. I'll be honest with you. I mean, really the the whole notion of the spoof movie has been complete crap for a very long time. I can't remember the last time there was a good spoof movie. I don't even think uh, scary movies, like scary movie franchise was any good, to be honest with you. I didn't even like that. Then you got garbage like Meet the Spartans and uh, all this other kind of crap. I mean, gone are the days of Top Secret and um, Spaceballs and you know, uh, airplane and, you know, just, there hasn't been a good true spoof movie in ages. And, and I know people that like not another teen movie and it's not as bad as like crap, like meet the Spartans, but, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just one. It didn't work for myself personally, to be honest with you. All right. Josh writes, Recently, we watched Batman versus Superman. The musical score at the death of Superman scene is what I always remember the most about that movie. Maybe it's uh, just me, but when Batman folds Superman's cape to hand him to Wonder Woman, who would in turn give him to Lois, that scene reminds me of a soldier folding the American flag to give it to a fallen soldier's loved one. Well, that was the imagery they were going for, clearly. Um, how he immediately went to fold it too reminds me of that that's Easter egg of how this Batman lost a Robin and probably had to do the same thing to that Robin after he died. The power of cinema, man, it's awe inspiring. Yeah, listen, I I'm a bigger fan of Batman versus Superman than most people. I mean, considering most people hated the movie, I'm a bigger fan of the movie than most people are. Uh, there are some who are bigger fans of the movie than me, but I, I really enjoyed Batman versus Superman. Don't get me wrong. I acknowledge it had its issues. It did. It had some issues, but I still overall, I quite enjoyed it. And mostly because, you know, I loved Ben Affleck's Batman iteration. The iteration of Batman in Batman versus Superman is my favorite iteration of Batman of all time uh, on the screen at any rate. 
And of course, I love Henry Cavill and all that kind of. I love the movie. Um, yeah, I, well, I don't. It, it might be an over exaggeration to say I love the movie, but I quite enjoy that movie. I really do. All right, David Zuckerman writes. I'm watching The Boys in the band right now. It's on Netflix, so so not The Boys. The Boys in the band. So the expectations are low. I know you weren't a big. Um, uh, fan of Big Bang Theory, but I watched several seasons and now all I see is Sheldon when I see Jim Parsons act. Not a fan. Do you feel he is one of those actors that played a character for too long and now cannot be seen as anything else or that he plays the same type of character like Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Smith or Seth Rogen do uh, minimal range? And wasn't he the top paid actor on TV for a while? I don't see why your thoughts. Well, I mean, here's the problem, David. You're talking to the wrong guy because I was not a fan of Big Bang Theory. Now, granted, it's not like I watched years of it. I watched like three or four episodes and it just didn't work for me. I I didn't find it funny. I felt like it was, okay, so here's a show about kind, kind of in a way about kind of geek culture, clearly being written by people who do not know the first thing about geek culture. Like that, that's just the, listen, and maybe I'm wrong. I'm just telling you the impression I had. The impression I had was a big theme of this show is geek culture, but to me, it was pretty clear that the people writing the show actually didn't understand the first thing about geek culture. And it was these veiled, you know, surface level references with, I I don't know, to me, again, and I might be wrong. The guys who made Big Bang Theory may may have the deepest knowledge of geek culture since John Schnepp, right? For all I know. I'm just saying that's how the show came across to me. And since it came across to me that way, I just couldn't enjoy it. So I don't know. I I think, I think Jim Parsons is, I just haven't, look, I haven't seen the boys in the band. I haven't seen his other stuff. So I don't know if he's just actually really limited. Like, are we looking at another situation um, of an actor who just got, maybe got lucky, who maybe just got lucky like you look at a situation like Napoleon Dynamite, right? Because what was the name of the kid? Um, the kid, John, was it John Heater that was in that? So yeah, it was John Heater. So John Heater stars in Napoleon Dynamite, right? And Napoleon Dynamite becomes a huge hit. Uh, everybody loves it. So everybody thinks this John Heater kid is going to be big, right? Well, then they kind of force him into this Will Ferrell to star alongside of Will Ferrell. And I think, what was it called? Blades of Glory or something? That was, it was terrible. And he wasn't very good in it. And what became really kind of clear was that he was a one hit wonder, right? And he appeared in a bunch of other stuff after that, but it was just, he really wasn't that good. And I'm not, I'm not meaning to speak ill of him for all I know, he's the nicest guy in the world, but just from a strictly on-screen performance point of view, he wasn't that good. And so I don't know if that's the same situation with Jim Parsons or not. I really don't. He might be the best actor in the world. I don't know, but we'll have to wait and see. But again, I'm the wrong guy to ask about it because I wasn't a fan of Big Bang Bang Theory. All right. Uh, Ian writes, "Uh, Hi, John. I know how hard you have been working on your documentary, and I'm really uh, looking forward to watching it. Thank you so much. Can you share any details yet, like where and when we can watch it? Thanks for all you do. Oh, thanks for asking, man. Honestly, Um, when you're going to be able to watch it is before the end of the year. And we're already in October. So I am dedicated to making sure that you guys will be able to see it before the end of the year where I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure yet where, 
I'm, I'm trying to work that out right now. So, because that is partially beyond my control, right? I've got some things I'd love to see happen with the documentary, and I've got some places I'd love for you to be able to see it as every filmmaker does, but whether or not I'll actually be able to get it there, I don't know. So, you know, I've got my a list of where I would love it to be. That's probably super unrealistic for me to expect. Then I've got my B list of maybe there's a chance I could get my movie here and people could watch it here. Like there's the a list highly unlikely. I'll be able to get it there, but that's my dream. Then there's the B list of places I'd want you guys to be able to see it. And it's possible. It's possible I could get into to one or two of those places. And then there's the C list. It's so like, okay, barring anything else, I can do this with the movie. And right now, since I just recently finished the film, I'm only in the beginning stages right now of trying to figure out and work out where it will be available for people. But one way or the other, uh, I'm pretty dedicated right now, unless something completely unforeseen happens, I'm quite dedicated to it being available before the end of 2020. I'm actually, I'd like it to be available before the end of November. So like within the next two months, I'd like to make it available to everybody. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Thanks for asking, man. All right. Brent Gilson writes, how slash when did you get the idea to do a documentary on movie trailers? Well, it was, it was last year. It was two, it was mid 2019. And I was just really starting to feel the need to do, to, to embrace a creative project, right? Because you got to understand, I love doing the John Campus show. I love it, but it is an all consuming job, right? You're, you're talking anywhere on a great day, nine hours to like 14, 15, 16 hours a day that I'm spending trying to do this show. And I started realizing that, you know, it's been a bit since I've had an extracurricular creative project. Because even when I was back at Collider, right? Like I, I did the Lionsgate show for them. I did Film HQ for uh, Lionsgate, which was great. And then, you know, even when I I, I got to produce the Jeremy Johns show, uh, Awesome Tacular, I, I was one of the creators of that show. I produced that show. We had it on the Verizon Go 90 network. Um, that was great and fun. But it was about mid last year, mid 2019 that I realized, man, I really need for my own mental health. I need another creative project. And I was thinking I might like to do a documentary on something. And it was shortly after that, that I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine about like some of our favorite trailers that year. And I just realized, you know what? I'm always talking about trailers. All the, on my show, people are constantly writing in and talking about trailers. Like we're always talking about trailers. I should do one. And I looked around. I was like, there was really nothing out there on trailers. As a matter of fact, I even went to Amazon. When I was first starting to think about doing this movie, I decided to do some research on, on movie trailers. I went to Amazon to look up books on movie trailers. Guess what? I only found two. Two books on movie trailers. I, I I could find 500 books on painting miniature figures. I could find 500 books on painting miniature figures. Movie trailers, there were literally two books I found. And I'm very lucky. I'll let you guys in on it. Um, I In my documentary, I was able to find the author of one of those books 
who's like literally wrote the book on movie trailers, one of the world's foremost experts on movie trailers. Uh, his name's Dr. Keith Johnston. And I was able, and he's over in the UK, I was able to get him. And he is appears in my documentary, which I'm very excited about. But um, yeah, that was, it was mid-2019. And I went to work on it almost immediately. I, I started working on it almost immediately. And um, we've been working on this film for about a year now. And it's just... Really cool to uh, to be wrapping it up. Thanks for asking, Brent. All right. Angela Dashner writes, uh, thanks for all you do, John. Thank you so much, Angela. What movie that you were looking forward to and now is postponed are you the most disappointed about? For me, I am so bummed about Wonder Woman and I'm afraid it will be postponed again. Uh, also, love the clip of your documentary and can't wait to view the entire documentary. Thank you so much for that, Angela. Uh, thanks for sharing that with us. You're the best. Oh, thank you so much. Um. Out of the ones that have been bumped, I mean, I'm expecting Dune is going to get bumped so that, but for now, the one I'm most disappointed that has actually been bumped is, uh, is Wonder Woman 84. I don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm looking forward to Black Widow too, but what Patty Jenkins, Patty Jenkins has proved what she can do with a Wonder Woman movie. Now I'll admit this new Wonder Woman movie doesn't look great so far, but it's still Patty Jenkins. You know, I didn't think the previews for Harley Quinn looked any good, right? And I ended up really enjoying it. And the bottom line for me is that I just have a lot of faith in Patty Jenkins. I just have a lot of faith in her. So I have a lot of faith in this movie, regardless of, you know, whether I think the trailers have been the strongest in the world or not. So right now, Angela, that's the one I'm kind of disappointed uh, with moving so far the most. All right. Cal writes, Thanks for producing content during this time as it's always uh, as it's always appreciated uh, the time you put in with the team. Thank you so much for that, Cal. I appreciate that. The Man of Steel video you posted months ago on your take on why you like the movie. Is there another movie you plan on doing in the future? As always, thank you for everything. Cheers, Cal. Well, thanks for that, man. Yeah, I, I loved that video. I, seriously, that video I did um, on the case for Man of Steel, the most underrated comic book movie of all time i'm very proud of that video it's one of my favorite videos like one of my favorite straight up videos that i've done uh in a long time i loved doing it but i think the next one is going to be and somebody else brought this up uh one of our viewers wrote this in on the show the other day about i'm gonna do i think my next kind of editorial video is going to be on um at the end of the day of civil war was tony or steve right like I'm going to do the definitive editorial video and it'll probably end up being 10 to 20 minutes too about looking at the philosophical uh, clash between Iron Man and Captain America in Civil War, the movie Captain America Civil War. And ultimately who was right? And and what how, what does the who does the movie say was right? And breaking down, you know, all that kind of stuff and I think that's the next one I'm going to do. Anyway, thanks for writing that, Cal. All right, Frankie Gouge writes. Uh more on theater survival. Any thoughts? Here's mine. One, some combination of studio ownership may be as extreme as studios creating a group to run theaters at cost just to have uh, just to have as an outlet. No, that's not going to happen. Uh, number two, some streaming powerhouses, especially Amazon, offering either watch in our theaters or stream it at home service. I know that studios would have to agree and want a piece of the pie. However, any options have big caveats. I just believe that the future is going to be a lot different. See, here's the thing. Again, you want to be you want to make sure you identify you properly identify what the problem is. 
The problem is not the movie theaters were dying sans pandemic, right? So you don't want to come up with solutions to how to save a dying industry when that's not the problem. The problem is a current dilemma, which is the pandemic. So no, I I don't think anything. And so I think your solutions, just in as much that the problem is temporary, I think the solutions need to be temporary solutions as well. That's why, like, the movie studios do not want to be in the movie theater ownership business. They just don't want to be in that business. What would be better for the studios is just to say, hey, uh, Fox, hey, Lionsgate, hey, Sony, hey, Paramount, hey, WB, hey, Disney, hey, A24, hey, everybody, let's put, let's all kick in a fund and it's going to hurt and it's going to cost us some money, but if we can kick in and then infuse the movie theaters with this cash to keep them afloat until the pandemic is passed, yeah, it'll cost us a bunch of money right now, but in the long term, it'll be much more financially beneficial to us that these theaters stay in business. And so I think in as much as you got to identify that this is a temporary problem, your solutions you need to look at need to be tailored to that, need to recognize that. So temporary solutions. Not solutions that are going to have ramifications long after the temporary pandemic is over, but rather address the issue as it is. So that's kind of my thoughts on that, Frankie. I'm glad that you're trying to think about that, though, and coming up with some creative solutions. All right. EJ Tran writes, or EJ Tan writes, hey, John, hope you're having a great day. I just wanted to know of what you think of the new Star Wars Squadrons video game that's coming uh, out tomorrow on Steam. It looks like a modern take classic uh, of the classic TIE Fighter game and Pod Racer, but with today's graphics and technology, I'm so excited. Now, listen, I remember when that they dropped that trailer, caught everybody's by surprise. And that is the first thing that I said as well. It was like, man, one of the things I love about this is that it feels like the old X-Wing game. It feels like the old TIE Fighter game. I love, those are amongst my favorite video games of all time. Those original X-Wing and original TIE Fighter games, I loved those games. Man, I would play them incessantly. Um, Absolutely love them. So yeah, sign me up, dude. Sign me up. I, I'm excited to give it a shot. I'm excited to hop in that cockpit. Uh, I can't wait because again, it just gave me reflections of those old games as well. All right. Uh, Kinsley Major writes, do you think studios will use this opportunity to rein in their spending on films? Will doing so affect the talent they're able to pull in on projects? Well, I, I don't know. I hope so. Like one of the problems, one of the big systemic problems in the movie industry right now is that studios have gone far too wild on their spending. Right? Like when you look at a movie like District 9, super visual effects heavy, um, even by today's standards, the visual effects in District 9 were fantastic. If you can make that movie for $30 million, why does another movie with half of the visual effects shots that don't even look as good as District 9 have to cost $160 million, right? They need to rein in their spending a bit. And as far as getting talent, guess what? Um, 
I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to pick on any particular star, so I'm just going to pick a random star. Uh, uh, Rachel McAdams, say, right? I love Rachel McAdams. I'm, I'm not suggesting she's overpaid or anything like that. I'm just using this as a hypothetical situation, okay? But let's say Rachel McAdams was starting to get accustomed to making 20 million a film. Well, guess what? She'll take 8 million a film if there's no other films. If there's no films out there willing to pay her 20 million, she'll take 8. And if there's no films out there willing to pay $8 million for an actor to be in a movie for two months' work, then guess what? She'll take two. Oh, no. I only have to take $2 million for two months of work. Oh, no. Whatever will I do? You know? So I do think across the board, the industry, and it's not just actors. I don't even think the actors are the biggest problem. It just just... The Hollywood has gotten run away with its, its spending. Now, I, whenever I bring that up, people will often say to me, but John, it's not your money. Why do you care how much they spend? Because you do end up paying for it. Because when the studio spends more on the movies that they make, that means they need to make back more money. And part of the strategy of making back more money is that ticket prices go up every year. And that they gouge the movie theaters for a bigger and bigger percentage of the movie ticket sales price, leaving the theaters with less and less money. So now not only do the theaters have to jack prices to compensate for that, now theaters also have to charge more for popcorn and soda and junior mints and whatever to make sure they make enough money to keep the lights on. It's a systemic problem that all starts with how much money the studios spend on making these movies. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there should be a salary cap. I'm not saying no movie should cost more than $80 million to make. I'm not saying that. I'm not I'm not remotely saying that. What I am saying, though, is that they do spend too much. And there are $180 million movies that I'm absolutely sure could have been made for $140. You know what I'm saying? If they just were more responsible. So maybe this whole pandemic thing will be a little bit of a wake-up call for them. I doubt it. But hopefully it will be a bit of a wake-up call. All right. Uh, ben Donnelly writes, I watched your interview for AMC with uh, Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth last week. Wow, John, that was a lot of laughing. Yeah, I'm, and listen, here's the funny thing. That interview that I did with me, Chris Evans, and Chris Hemsworth, you guys didn't even see half of it, right? A lot, the stuff that happened before we started recording and after we finished recording, it, it was nuts. It was nuts, but even what came out on camera was a lot of fun. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's that's one of the most fun interviews I've ever done. It was kind of a crazy day. All right. Rob uh, Tari writes, hey, John, big fan from Toronto. Oh, good back home. Uh, I keep bumping up against the Snyder Cut thing. Full disclosure, I'm not a fan of his DC stuff, but I understand and respect uh, those that are. That being said, what does Zack Snyder have that other directors don't with getting second chances? His films often seem to get director's cuts, Watchmen, Batman vs. Superman, and now Justice League. To be honest, they're not massive hits and tend to divide fans. I don't understand why he keeps getting second chances. Your thoughts? All right, fair enough. Look, full disclosure, I am. Don't, I don't love everything that Zack Snyder has done. For instance, Sucker Punch. Thought that was a terrible movie. But I, I got to be honest, I generally like his work. Now, I also wasn't a big fan of Watchmen. Now, Watchmen is a movie that most people either love or hate. I'm kind of in the middle. I thought it was all right. I thought it was all right. But other than that, like when, whether you're looking at 300, um, 
one of his seriously no one ever talks about this great little anime i personally thought it was great this great little animated movie he did called legends of the guardians the owls of gaul um it's a little animated film nobody ever talks about it i thought it was really good i thought i've always appreciated that movie very very much Obviously, you guys know what I feel, how I feel about Man of Steel. <laughs> you guys clearly know by now how I feel about Man of Steel. Um, masterpiece of the genre. Um, I like Batman versus Superman. Hell, I, I like Justice League. Uh, even though part of that was Joss Whedon, I like Justice League. The thing is, he keeps getting second chances because... There is an audience for him. Like in as much as there are a lot of people who hate for whatever reason that hate Man of Steel and hated Batman versus Superman and, and whatever, there, is, there are people who do like it like me, right? So there are people who do like it like me. And some of those people are very passionate about it. And I think if there's somebody, even if a lot of people hate it, if there's a bunch of, if there's an audience there for something, even if others hate it, make it like, look, look at the Twilight movies, right? A lot of people hated those Twilight movies, but that didn't matter. It had an audience that did like it. So they kept making the Twilight movies all through the end of the books. They even split the last book into two parts. And every time a new one would come out, you know, everybody would laugh at it and joke about it and say how much they hate it. But guess what? There was still a group out there, not an insignificant group that liked it and loved it and embraced it and made those movies billions. So I think what Warner Brothers has done here is that they've recognized, look, maybe Zack Snyder's stuff is not for everybody. Maybe, generally speaking, the public did not embrace his vision of the DC universe. But you know what? There are people who did. There's a, there's a decent number of people who did. And if we make this, maybe not everybody will care, but they will care. And, um, you know, and, and so that's it. So it's not about, does everybody love your stuff? It's, is there enough of an audience to appreciate your stuff? That's all a studio needs to see. And so, uh, and so we get into the situation that we're in. All right. Thanks for writing that in Rob. All right. Kyle Garrett writes, who is your favorite Canadian actor or actress? Also, if you don't like alcohol, how did you survive watching that debate? Again, I'm not going to talk about the debate. Um, but, I mean, it all depends. Like currently my favorite Canadian actor is probably Ryan Reynolds, uh, probably Ryan Reynolds and Rachel McAdams. I love both of them very, very much. Obviously I'm a big fan of Ryan Gosling as well. Speaking of, he's done a bunch of stuff with Rachel McAdams. Um, so up there, but like all time. Well, I mean, there's some, some relatively recent contemporaries like uh, Jim Carrey, Michael J. Fox, whatever. But I mean, all time now you're looking at guys like Lauren Green, who was awesome. Donald Sutherland, uh, Christopher Plummer. Um, gotta, gotta give a shout out to the chat to William Shatner as well. But uh, I mean, yeah, but right now I would say probably my favorite, uh, Canadian actor is probably Ryan Reynolds. All right. Thanks for, for asking Kyle. All right. S beam writes, 
Hey, John, hope you're doing well. Thank you so much. What shows have interested you from Amazon other than The Boys? Just finished Utopia, which was pretty good. Definitely worth the watch. I am planning on watching Utopia, by the way. It's got my interest. Definitely worth the watch if you can fit it in somewhere. Also, when the hell are you going to watch Psych? Yeah, I've never gotten around to watching that. It doesn't really appeal to me all that much. It's not just a comedy. There are some suspenseful episodes. It's one of my five top shows of all time. Thanks and have a great day. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And yeah, listen, the Amazon uh, show that I love the most, obviously right now is The Boys. I am loving, 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 loving that show. Uh, also, they've had some good ones too, like uh, Bosch. I've only watched the first few seasons of Bosch. I got to watch the last few seasons. I don't know why I stopped watching that. Uh, Upload is a show that Anne has really adored, but I got to tell you, probably the Amazon original that really turned me on to Amazon originals was the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I mean, that show is just phenomenal. Like, and I had no interest in that show. It clearly didn't look like a show that was made for me or that would, would appeal to me. I'm not the demographic, but we were, Ann and I were visiting the Campia ranch up in Canada and you know, we had a, a TV with Amazon in our room up at the Campia Ranch. So one evening she was just laying around up there and she goes, John, you got to watch this with me. I'm like, what is it? Because I was out, you know, riding the four wheelers around the ranch and I came back in and Anne's like, you got to watch this with me. I'm going to start this over again. I'm like, all right. And we watched, started watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and I was floored of how good that show is. So between, you know, and then it won, they won a lot of awards for transparent as well. That was one they won a bunch of awards for, but like between that stuff and now the boys, and now we got the, the Lord of the Rings series to look forward to. They're pretty good. Amazon is, uh, is actually kicking some ass here. So yeah, there you go. Uh, all right. Next up, uh, Austin Shear writes, Hey John, there is a 2019 movie called things I do for money that was shot in Hamilton and takes place in Hamilton in the actual film. It's low budget and not half bad. I have never heard of it. But, you know, it's crazy. My hometown and the greatest city in the world is Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, the hammer steel town, the hammer, whatever you want to call Hamilton, greatest city in the world. It's my home. Um, it is crazy how much stuff shoots there. Like even like stuff I started watching recently, like Titans shoots there and Doom Patrol shoots a bunch of stuff. there. It's, it's nuts how much stuff shoots in Hamilton. Then you look down through the movies that shoot in Hamilton. It is crazy. Uh, I have never heard of the things I do for money. Never heard of it, but I'll, I'll try looking it up sometime. Thanks for putting on my radar, Austin. Ben Rayner writes, hey, John, random question. Just curious. Did you watch the South Park pandemic special last night? If so, what did you think? I have not seen it yet. I do plan on watching it. I absolutely plan on watching it. Uh, maybe even sometime today, I'll, I'll get Ann and we'll sit down and watch it. But no, I've been excited about it ever since I heard them announce it, that they were going to be doing it, but I've not watched it yet. All right. Uh, Don, Jerry, Jerry, oh boy, Jerry, Asinot, right. I'm sure I mispronounced that Don, forgive me, writes, Hey John, do you think Tenet's disappointing box office can be partly attributed to the fact that it isn't getting glowing reviews and word of mouth that would inspire people to see it and bring uh, in repeat business. All right. Yeah. I, listen, I've said that. I've said that. Listen, the, the main reason tenant hasn't made 700 million worldwide right now, and it's just kind of hit 300 million is because of the pandemic. I mean, it's, it's, it's the only movie that's out in a pandemic. This, you know, that's it. 
And I think, all things considered, the fact that Tenet has pulled in $300 million is not half bad, all things considered. But I also think of one of the reasons, the majority of the reasons, pandemic, theaters, and all that kind of stuff, but I do think a part of the problem is that it's not Nolan's best work. You know, a lot of people find it kind of convoluted. And I think the reason a lot of people find it convoluted is because you can't, the the audio mix in the movie is so bad. A lot of people can't understand what's being said in, in significant major parts of the film. I understand that there's one or two scenes where the audience isn't supposed to understand what's being said, but even in parts of the film, significant parts of the film where we as the audience are supposed to be able to understand what's being said. We just can't. And if you can't understand the dialogue that's going on and the didactic stuff that's being spoken, then it's going to make the movie feel more convoluted and difficult to follow. If you like, hey, this scene wouldn't have been hard to follow if I heard what they said in the last scene. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, that is definitely a contributing factor to it, but not the major one, but but definitely a factor in there, Don. I, I 100% agree. All right. Anna uh, Delernia writes... Hello, John, from your female demographic. Well, thank you so much, Anna. I recently got into listening to the Office Ladies podcast by Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey from The Office. It's great to hear all the background stories from the making of The Office. Have you had a chance to listen to it yet? You know what? No. And I've been talking about that podcast for like a year. I got so excited when I heard that Jenna Fisher, Fisher, who plays Pam on The Office, and Angela, who plays Angela, uh, who are actually like best friends uh, behind the cameras that they were doing this podcast. I love the office. I love the sounds of this. I can't believe I haven't started listening to it yet, but I absolutely plan on it because yeah, like I said, I've been excited about this ever since I heard about it. So no, have not started listening to it yet, but I plan on it. It's still crazy to me that Jenna Fisher and James Gunn were married for so long. They're not married any, any longer, but You know, it is kind of, you know, whenever you hear of a celebrity couple breaking up, they always say the right things as they're breaking up. Oh, you know, we're still friends and we still, yeah, yeah, yeah. BS. You guys are tearing each other's throats out. Come on. We, if you were still best friends, you'd be still married. Come on. But it's been really neat seeing, and it breaks my heart that Jenna Fisher and James Gunn aren't together anymore, but, but, you know, since the breakup, right. It's still been neat to see like James Gunn, like tweet out and send out social messages on Jenna Fisher's birthday. And Jenna Fisher still like continuously long after their marriage is done, tweeting out supportive things and things about James. And it's kind of nice to see, you know, I look, I it's, un, it's, it's never a happy thing when a marriage ends, but I got to say, it's kind of nice to see a Hollywood couple that for whatever their personal reasons were, marriage was no longer a great arrangement for them that they have actually still remained quite positive about each other. And since then, it's nice to see. It's nice to see. But yeah, I want to listen to that podcast and I will hopefully very soon. All right. Sebastian Torillo writes, Hey, John, are you ready for the season finale of Ted Lasso? Absolutely. And I've loved this show. Uh, Last episode was, uh, was an amazing performance by Hannah Waddingham, who plays Rebecca. Yeah, listen, Ted Lasso, it's it's a show starring Jason Sudeikis on Apple TV+. I saw the first teaser for it, and I thought, this looks silly, like not, and not in a good way. It just looks like Jason Sudeikis is playing an SNL character. Nothing looked appealing about it. 
And then what happened is, you know, after the show debuted, I started having a whole bunch of people writing into the show saying, oh my God, John, you got to check out Ted Lasso. So Anne and I, maybe two weeks ago, on a whim, you know, we had just finished dinner and we had some time. It's like, oh, do you want to watch the first episode of this Ted Lasso? I just had a bunch of people call, write in on my show, say it was really good. Maybe we should watch it. All right. And then we binged it all. And um, I, I love this show. What can I, tell? I This show has so much charm. I mean, it's funny. It's a comedy. It is funny. But I what won me over about this show was the pure charm. The characters are great. Um, and I was completely won over by it. And, uh, I am, I am both looking forward to the season finale and very, very sad that it's the last episode that we're going to get for a while. So mixed feelings there, Sebastian. All right. Austin Perzak writes, Hey, John, thanks for all you do. Thanks so much, Austin. I do. Or I'd like to ask about your favorite memory that you have with Anne. By the way, when you wrote in, a lot of people still write Anne with an E. Anne is just A-N-N, just so you all know. It's not A-N-N-E. It's just A-N-N. Anyway, uh, I know not movie related. I uh, just figured I'd give you a chance to talk about something else. Keep doing what you're doing, good sir. I enjoy spending my days with you. All right. Thanks a lot, Brian. My favorite memory with Anne. Hmm. Listen, I'm not going to lie. I'm a... I'm a lucky man um, in the fact that not only do I get to find myself waking up every day partnered with this incredible woman um, who is both super successful in her career, you know, she, I mean, for, you know, everything from being the political repre representative for a U.S. congresswoman to being a, a senior person in a, in a healthcare company, to uh, working in a municipal government, to being a senior person over at Hasbro and now having the senior role at Amazon um, with four degrees. Um, I paid a lot for her last one, but it was with four degrees. She's super ambitious. She's super intelligent. But on top of all of that, she loves UFC. And she is the dungeon master of our Dungeons and Dragons group. And she loves comic books and she loves comic book movies. And she's like, I just, I wake up every day, but it's not just that I wake up every day and, and, you know, I'm partnered with this incredible woman. I'm also with a partner who is a perfect fit for me. You know, she challenges the things in me that I need challenged. She is a fantastic partner. You, we just, there's a lot of things that are different about me and Anne, but those differences fit together like a puzzle piece. And I know all married couples feel that way. I, I, I get that, but it's just, and everybody in a relationship feels that way, but it's just so unlike any relationship I've ever been in. And um, we've been together a long time now. I, so it's hard, almost impossible for me to come up with a favorite memory. I will say though, you know, one of the great ones is one of the first ones. I remember our first official date. Um, I was supposed to take her. I was. I thought I was being all cool. Like, I thought, oh, look how cool I am. I'm going to take you on a date. You're going to be my plus one to a private press screening for this huge blockbuster film coming out. And uh, you get to go into it because, you know, I'm connected. That's, you know, 
I was I was early in my career, uh, and so I still thought that stupidly. Anyway, and so we planned to have dinner first, and I got the time of the screening wrong. So we're sitting there having dinner at this Italian restaurant in Hollywood, and I get a text from another film journalist friend of mine saying, where are you? They're letting us in. I'm like, I thought the movie didn't start till... Six o'clock and they're like, no, or it didn't start till seven o'clock. And they're like, no, the screening starts at six. And I was so embarrassed. This was my first date with this girl. And I was, and I would have bragged up like, cause I was an idiot, right? I was bragging. Oh, you know, I'm going to take you to this screening as if that's a big deal. But, and I was so humiliated and I now had to turn to this girl who I'm on my first date with and just tell her, um, yeah, remember how I said I was going to take you to this thing because I'm such a big shot. I wasn't, but I kind of thought I was. I'm <laughs> so stupid. Um, I'm such a big shot. I'm going to take you to this movie. And then had to say, I. Uh, it turns out I got the time wrong and we're not going to be able to go. I was so embarrassed. And I think almost any other woman would have gone, sure, you would have got me into that. It probably was never. But you know what? She was so cool about it. She's like, oh. Oh, that sucks. All right. You want to just get a movie and go back to your place and like watch a movie at home? I'm like, she was just so cool. And I, I, I just knew immediately I liked her. Like at that point, I just immediately knew I liked her. I even remember the movie we went and watched back in my place because like my apartment was when I used to live right on Sunset Boulevard in, in Hollywood when I first moved to LA. And so we went back to my place and I had just got sent to me a copy of 30 Days of Night. Uh, that little vampire horror movie. And that was the first movie we watched together. I popped in 30 days a night and it was just, it was a terrific date. And I just remember her reaction to me blowing the date just made me go, I really like this girl. So that's one of my favorite memories. Anyway, sorry. I went on in that for a little bit long. All right. Next up, Derek Woodrin writes, Hey, John, with them doing a new Lion King, do you think they will change the animation style? Since a lot of people complained about them not having expressions, I'm hoping they don't and keep it realistic. Oh, no, they absolutely should. That's, that's, I'm sorry. It's all subjective. Of course, it's all subjective. Your opinions are no more and no less valid than mine. But this whole thing, oh, they should have made the faces on the lions more like cartoons. That's one of the fucking stupidest things I've ever heard. That's just to, to me, just to me, that is one of the fucking stupidest things I've ever heard. The whole point of this was to make it feel real. And if you had taken these realistic looking lions and all of a sudden put these dopey, big round animated eyes on them and had their little lips quivering, around, it would have completely destroyed, as Robert Meyer Burnett would say, the verisimilitude of it. Now, granted, again, that is just my own personal perspective of it. And my personal perspective is no more or less valid than yours. But no, I think that would be a tremendous idiotic move for them to do. I think it would be completely stupid. Um, and I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to keep it the way it is and uh, the animation style it anyway and come up with a new story. And hopefully the story will work with people. And I mean, listen, it, it doesn't matter how much I loved this Lion King. Not as good as the original, but I still love John Favreau's Lion King. Um, there were a bunch of people that didn't like it. It's like Man of Steel. It's like Man of Steel. 
I think it is completely underrated. I thought it was wonderful. Not as good as the original, but completely wonderful. Just like Man of Steel, and also just like Man of Steel, a lot of people don't appreciate it the way I do. And that's fair. So, no, the, I th- but I do think not only they should keep the animation style, I also completely believe they will keep the animation style. All right. Uh, Tim Platt writes, Hey, John, I know a lot of people don't care for the Big Bang Theory, and I know you aren't a fan of it either, but I love it. Well, that's good for you, man. That's good. Just because somebody else doesn't like something you like doesn't mean you shouldn't like it, my friend. Um, It really helped me uh, learn a lot about myself and grow as a person. What's a show that you liked uh, that you like slash like despite the negative attention it gets? Well, I mean, let's not pretend Tim, let's not pretend like, oh, Big Bang Theory is this little underdog show that nobody appreciates. It was like one of the number one, like in the top five television shows for like the last, I don't know, what, eight years or 10 years. So let's not pretend like it's just some little underdog scrappy show that nobody appreciated. It's it's like one of the top films on TV for a long, 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 long time. If anything, in my opinion, it's supremely overrated, but... But that's just my personal opinion. You like it, and that's awesome. A show that I really like that that legitimately got a lot of negative attention. I don't know. That's not usually a problem for TV. Like for me, it's it, the problem with TV is usually just a, a a show just not getting attention. Right. the The problem with TV is usually not um, getting attention. Uh, let me just look something up here. Uh, uh, so the actor, uh, Jason Isaacs, right? I really like Jason Isaacs. A lot of you guys will remember him as being Malfoy's dad. Remember that he was Malfoy's dad in the Harry Potter movies. Uh, and I really liked him in star Trek discovery. As a matter of fact, I thought he was great in star Trek discovery. Anyway, a couple of years ago, he had this little, show on television. It's funny because I was just over at uh uh Aaron Cummings last night with her and her husband Tom and we were talking about this specific thing. So he had this little show on television uh that only lasted one season and it was called Awake. It was called Awake. And it also had uh BD Wong from um Jurassic World fame. It also had BD Wong in it. Anyway, this show was fantastic. The basic premise of the show is that Jason Isaacs plays a cop and he has a wonderful life with his wife and his son. They get into an accident, a car accident. He wakes up in the morning and his wife had died in the accident. So then he goes through the day, goes to sleep. And when he wakes up, it is the next day But instead of it being his wife who died two days ago in the accident, his son had died two days ago in the accident. And he's like, what's going on? And then he goes to sleep. And when he wakes up, it is the following day. So now it's three days later. But he's back in the reality where his wife died in the accident and not his son. And so basically, every time he goes to sleep and wakes up, he's in the next reality. The one reality is the one where his wife died in the accident. The next day's reality is the one where his son died in the accident. And each day continues to progress. So it's not like a groundhog day where he's stuck in the same day. It continues to move forward. But it was wonderful. I loved this show. 
And it's not that it got negative attention. It's that it didn't get any attention. And for whatever reason, whether it was the marketing or something else, it just wasn't able to get an audience. And it only lasted one season. And the first season ends with him being on the cusp of discovering what is going on with him, right? The season ends with him just about to find out why am I jumping back and forth between these two realities, Day, like reality A where my wife died in that car accident, reality B where it's my son who died in the accident. And he was just about to find out the season ends, it's a cliffhanger, and it never got renewed for a second season. That to me is a show that not negative attention, just no attention. You know what I mean? So that that's one show that comes to mind. Thanks for writing that in, Tim. All right. Craig Wooden writes, Hey, John, there's been a lot of early Oscar buzz around the trial of the Chicago 7, Ammonite, One Night in Miami, Nomad, La- Nomad Land, and uh, Minari. Which film are you most anticipating seeing? Uh, all have been screened at film festivals recently with positive reviews they have. And look, I'm very excited for Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, for several different reasons, Aaron Sorkin, it's his second directorial effort. I loved his first directorial effort with Molly's Game. He's obviously also one of the most celebrated screenwriters in the industry. But the one I'm really looking forward to is Nomadland. Nomadland is one that I'm quite excited for. So for 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 a couple of reasons. One reason is because it is getting ridiculously huge praise coming out of like the Toronto Film Festival and just getting huge, huge, huge praise. Secondly, the cast is incredible, being led by Frances McDormand, like multiple Oscar winner, just amazing, fantastic. But for the main reason is Chloe Zhao, the director. I'm really psyched for this because on t- not just for this movie, but she's directing Marvel's The Eternals, right? She's directing The Eternals. And so I think that's going to be very, very exciting for a lot of people, including myself, who are like, oh, so who's this director directing The Eternals? Oh, she's got this other movie that's getting all this Oscar buzz, Nomadland. Great. So for that reason, for those that collection of reasons, that's the one I am personally most, I'm, like, I'm looking forward to all these, but that's the one I'm most looking forward to. All right, next up, Danny uh, Cabral writes, hello, John, longtime listener here. Thank you so much, Danny. One of my favorite movies to watch over and over again is James Cameron's Avatar. I'm super excited for the upcoming sequels, even though they've been delayed multiple times. I'm very eager to see where this story goes. Are you excited for the upcoming Avatar sequels? And what's a movie that you can watch over and over again? Cheers and thank you for all the years of entertainment. I truly appreciate all your hard work and your love of movies. Well, thank you so much for sending that in, uh, Danny. And okay, so Avatar. Am I... Super excited for the upcoming Avatar sequels. I'd be lying if I said I was. Am I interested? Am I a little excited for it? Yes. But am I like super hyped for it? No. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. I very much enjoy the first Avatar. I was all for it getting a Best Picture nomination, which it did at the Academy Awards, got a Best Picture nomination. And that was great. I had no problem with that. I didn't think it should win, uh, which it didn't, but I'm, I'm glad it got nominated. I thought it was very, very good. The main thing that kind of tempers my excitement is because they've just taken too long to get around to this. Like, 
they this is a movie that should have come out six years ago. And we're still a long way away from it coming out. And there's just too much time has passed. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean the movie's not going to be good. I'm simply saying that it it takes a toll on how much you can look forward to it when they just keep getting delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And, and they just keep, and even today it continues to just get delayed. So it's difficult. Am I interested? Yes. Am I looking forward to it? Yes. But again, I'd be lying right now if I said I was super, super hyped for it. Here's hoping it doesn't experience any more massive delays. So, so here's hoping. And uh, that'll do it, guys, for today. Now, there were more questions that came in from our Patreon supporters. I unfortunately, you know, uh, one of the reasons we didn't do the video show today is because I have a lot of commitments uh, this afternoon that I have to address. So I'm, I'm out of time today. So we didn't get around to, to all the questions that our Patreon supporters sent in. But hey, listen, if you're one of the Patreon supporters and you sent in the questions on the Patreon page, I'm going to jump in there a little bit later and at least write a quick text response to all the remaining questions I didn't have to get around to at that time. All right, guys, that will do it for today's installment of the John Campion show. Hey, guys, listen, I want to remind you, for those of you listening to the podcast, on the John Campion show, we also have a live questions part of the show. And even if you just listen to the podcast, you can send in live questions by using the tip link that's in the description of this podcast. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be sending in a question or comment that will be read on the live questions part of the show, and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. So to everybody who does that and sends those in, thank you very much. Just a reminder, guys, the regular YouTube version of the John Campion Show will return tomorrow on the YouTube channel, and then we'll take the audio and put it up here on the podcast. Hey, guys, listen, thank you to all of you guys who took some time out to listen to today, today's show. I deeply appreciate it. I hope you have a great day. Guys, remember to do the four important things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of each other, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.